Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good night. Whenever you're listening to this podcast, well, I hope you're enjoying your day. Today, August 10th, 2020, and I've got another episode of Monday Madness for you. I gotta say, as a recent graduate, I am still getting used to it. I mean, one of my friends said, you're not a college boy anymore, and uh, that kind of messed with me. That was the big first thing, but now it's finally starting to sink in. You don't have homework at the end of the day. <laughs> you're allowed to work on the projects that you want to work on. I, I just really didn't understand how much time school actually consumed in my day-to-day life, and now that I'm graduated, oh man, is it great. So, For any college students, mine students listening, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And for those of you like me who have graduated, whether that's recently or a while ago, let's keep working. Let's keep bettering ourselves day by day so that we're a little bit more ready for tomorrow and a little bit better than we were yesterday. But you didn't come here for pep talks. I know that. We've got that relationship now. I know what you're here for. You're here for the news. Let's kick it off with the essentials, WTI pricing. We are currently at $42.09 as I record this, but there have been some pretty big trading spreads in those past two weeks. I'm talking as much as a difference of more than a dollar in days trading between high and lows. Take last Monday, for example. Right after I finished the episode of Monday Madness, got through the workday, went to bed, woke up to look at the market. The low for that day was $40.14, with the high being $42.08 while it still climbed even the next day. So lots of volatility, big spreads, but it seems like we're testing pretty close to $41, $42 range right now. So inching upwards, no massive changes, lots of spread, but overall that average is pretty close and creeping up. But the rig count, eh, not as hot, not as positive. U.S. rig count right now is at 247 rigs, which is a four rig decrease from the last week, but we are still down 687 rigs on the year, which I guess is not as bad as it was before. We were down 700 at one point, but that just really goes to highlight the ebbs and flows of the industry. Now for the news, first I'd like to talk about midstream. Pipeline updates from last week show some pretty positive developments, and if you hadn't heard, well, it didn't start off so hot. A federal judge declared that an environmental permit was improperly granted to the midstream company in charge of the Dakota Access Pipeline that company, Energy Transfer LP. As a result, they were ordered to have the pipeline emptied by August 5th. Well, today's the 10th, so what's happened since then? Well, that wouldn't have really been a simple feat as the pipeline can deliver a maximum capacity of 570,000 barrels per day, although the rates really have been lower thanks to COVID. Fortunately for the pipeline, a federal appeals court overturned the decision and allowed the pipeline to continue operation. The Army Corps of Engineers will continue examining the pipeline as that was part of the original court decision as they continue to investigate and formulate an environmental impact statement to determine whether further action is necessary. I think this is a much better way to review the case as the investigation can continue and oil can continue to be transferred. Now, the pipeline situation has been pretty hairy, especially in the past month and a half, but it goes back to even up to five years ago. I think two of those largest opposition groups come back to environmental groups, of course, and Native Americans. While I do not see the environmentalist groups and the industry reaching a compromise soon, I do see potential development with the Native American groups. In the past, I do think the Native Americans have been slighted and left out of the conversation when considering the construction of midstream systems. 
But after Oklahoma recently acknowledged that roughly half of the land in the state belongs to native tribes, I think there's going to be more discussion between these groups. While the downside would be another severance tax collector in addition to the state and federal portions already granted, the benefit is an incentive for the Native Americans to allow the construction and operation of these pipelines. Sure, this means it will be a little bit more expensive to pursue these operations, but this is certainly a hell of a lot better than federal judges shutting pipelines down left and right, which is a threat that will continue to loom over the industry regardless. Another huge factor in pipeline development will stem from the upcoming election. The Army Corps of Engineers said that they plan to finish the review of the pipeline by the middle of next year. If Democratic primary Joe Biden is elected, there will be a lot of pressure to suspend these projects. If current President Donald Trump is re-elected, well, past trends would suggest that his administration would continue with the overhaul of the National Environmental Policy Act to promote domestic oil production. Either way, the midstream sector will remain under a lot of pressure and scrutiny for quite some time, but... Hey, what's new? Next, you know that Katy Perry song, You're Hot and You're Cold, You're Yes and You're No? Well, perhaps that song applies to natural gas markets a little more than we would like to admit. Currently, hot summer temperatures have increased the amount of energy required for residential cooling, although COVID has dropped the demand for many commercial and industrial properties. But forecasted weather for August shows continued high temperatures, which force future prices up for the nearby months to come. Fortunately, weather extremes like this increase the demand for natural gas, especially chillingly cold temperatures in the winter months. After all, think of your thermostat in your home at around 70 degrees in the winter. Now think of the millions of Americas seeking the same level of comfort with the same setup. That's a pretty significant demand for natural gas heating. I just wonder if natural gas will be in short supply come winter when that demand is projected to increase. Hopefully it is, and the increased demand will force that supply up. I can't really speak on this too much as I'm more of an engineer and less of a meteorologist, but definitely something to keep your eyes on as future prices are making big moves and big swings. Next up, we've got pirates and hostages. Okay, now hear me out. I can already hear your skepticism and disbelief, but this does relate to oil and gas. Just bear with me. Now, the story did not gain a lot of traction at its start, but the resolution caught my attention pretty recently. To set the scene... BW Offshore is a global company that deals with floating production storage and offloading, or FPSOs. These systems are usually ships that sit in the sea, collecting hydrocarbons from seafloor reservoirs through a system of risers, which then separate the fluids on the onboard facilities. Last month, a ship off the coast of Nigeria was attacked at 4am on the 2nd of July. Nine Nigerian nationals were kidnapped during the attack. Fortunately, the crew was released and rescued just a few days ago. Now, I know I've brought up pirate attacks before in the context of the Middle East with narrow straits and choke points, but things are getting increasingly hairy for the Gulf of Guinea just off the western coast of Africa. What's different here is that there's no choke point, there's no 10-mile segment that's highly targeted. It's just most of the coast with all of these FPSOs out collecting and separating contents. During the first half of 2020, 49, that's 49 crew members were kidnapped for ransom in the Gulf and held captive on land for anywhere up to six weeks. 32 of those kidnappings happened in the three past months alone, highlighting the increasing gusto and confidence that these pirates are gaining. It's going to be necessary to change the risk-reward ratio for these pirates. This means either increasing the risk for the pirates, say, equipping the rig with armed security forces, 
or decreasing the reward for the pirates, like removing the number of people necessary to operate these rigs. I guess I never really thought about it, but working from home significantly decreases the chances that pirates will board and kidnap you from an FPSO. All jokes aside, this just serves to show how bad it can truly get for some people, especially those operating outside the United States, and hopefully, an effective solution will be developed soon. Now let's bring it back home for the last segment. I believe energy independence should be one of the primary goals of the United States energy industry. Of course, it is necessary to import some crude types, as their chemical constituents allow for better refining of specific products, but I think it is important to not be too dependent on other countries. Part of this reason stems from the fact that oil has historically been traded on the dollar, and it allows for the exporting of this dollar-based crude when we see a great abundance. Additionally, a thriving American energy industry employs hundreds of thousands of people. These are just a few reasons that justify it, but I really do feel that the current administration probably sees eye to eye with me on this topic. But trading reports show that the United States received a little more than 7 million barrels from Russia last month. Why is this? Well, as I'm sure you've heard me talk about before, the United States has been slap happy with sanctions these past few years, and a recent sanction on Caracas, Venezuela has decreased the amount of heavy crude oil available globally. This is bad news for refineries, as some require heavy crude stock to operate. Fortunately, there is a workaround. It involves refining fuel oil as the byproduct of this can be substituted for the heavy crude. Adds a few more hoops to jump through, but it's still better than shutting down completely, waiting for heavy crude. Unfortunately, there's one player on the international market that is flush with fuel oil, and that is Russia. This is why we import so much for them, although this is anything but a fresh development. In 2018, refiners were attracted to the low price of Russian feedstock combined with low freight rates. The following year, the Russian oil exports to the U.S. doubled to 11 million tons of fuel oil. Thanks to COVID, this year is likely to see a repeat as, even though demand is decreased internationally, imports jumped 16% on June to just over 1 million tons for the month of July. Now, I do think it is important to conduct business internationally, but like I said, I, I don't want to be too dependent on other countries as a nation. But I believe that is all I have for you this week. Thank you so much for tuning in again. As always, if you'd like to let us know what you'd like to hear, leave the reviews. It's great to leave them on Apple Podcasts or even just share the podcast on Spotify if that's how you listen. Otherwise, if you'd like to contact me directly, you can reach out to podcast at rarepetro.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at rarepetro, one word, lowercase, dot com. And I can react and reply to those emails directly. So that's all we have for the week. Looks like things are getting mostly better in terms of pricing and commodities, but it's still a crazy world out there. So until I see you next time, don't get kidnapped by pirates and take care, friends. <laughs> <laughs>